I'm saying that's how it goes. Uh, Caleb uh, talked up how much I knew that song, and then I messed up. So, <laughs> but anyway, welcome to Faith Baptist Church. And as you've probably noticed, Pastor Herbert's not here today. He's called away fairly unexpectedly. Uh, I'm not liberty to say why, but just rest assured it was for a good reason and nothing to be alarmed or concerned about. Um, but still, it's always a good thing to pray for your pastor and his family. And I encourage you to do so. So anyway, he called me a week ago Friday night and asked me if I could fill in today. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, when I said that I would, I actually thought that the 4th of July weekend was next week. Um, I'm not sure why I thought that, but some somewhere, somehow, I lost a whole week. Um, now, one of the advantages that Pastor Herbert has over us uh, pinch-hitting laymen, besides knowledge and wisdom, training, and experience, is that unless Lord puts something specific on his heart, he's able to walk us through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And Caleb and I have discussed this more than once, that besides being up here in front of you, um, which is not real easy, uh, and the weighty responsibility of preaching the word of God to you, the hardest part might be is thinking, what am I going to talk about? Um, now, of course, there's a lot of prayer involved, um, but sometimes uh, that seems to be the biggest challenge that we face. So seeing that this is the weekend that many of us will celebrate our nation's independence, my first thought was freedom, right? Makes sense. I mean, our forefathers laid it all on the line for our freedom, uh, freedom from tyranny, uh, freedom to govern ourselves, freedom to choose, uh, freedom to exercise the inalienable rights that were given to us by our Creator, um, which includes freedom of religion. And nope, it's freedom of religion, not freedom from religion, uh, though everybody has the right to be wrong and, and reject the Creator God. Um, I'm going to step on my soapbox now, and we'll get started. But we also have freedom from shackles of sin that Jesus provided through the shedding of his blood. So that sounds perfect. Um, just one slight problem. Pastor talked about this freedom a couple weeks ago in honor of Juneteenth. Um, so then I begin thinking, all right, how about liberty? Liberty is similar to freedom, you know, the sons of liberty that began the revolution, the Liberty Bell, um, tied into Christian liberty, all right, what it means, how it should be used or ignored. I really like that idea, and I still do. Um, I even started researching it, and um, I still might do it sometime in the future, who knows. But then I remembered... I only had one week, not two. So I decided to take pastor's advice and uh, recycle an old message. I don't like doing that. 
to me, it kind of feels like cheating somehow. But as pastor has told me more than once, we're not preaching anything new here. People have heard these verses and passages maybe hundreds of times. Um, but we can still learn and, and grow from them. Not by, by what we say, but because it's the living word of God. Plus, I've revised it to fit today. Uh, it wasn't an Independence Day message um, the first time. And, of course, I've prayed that God would show me what I can add so that it's still his message for today. Uh, something else pastor has told me is that he's never preached a message that afterward he hasn't thought, oh, I wish I'd have said this or I wish I'd have said that. And I've experienced that too. So I've been praying that God would show me the things that I wish I would have said the first time. And lastly, um, as near as I can figure, uh, reading the original, it's I first delivered it 10 years ago. <laughs> it didn't seem like it, um, but I'm pretty sure it was. So I figure the chances of any of you remembering anything I said from 10 years ago are pretty, pretty small. Um, so the message for today is focus. Um, just as our founding fathers focused, try to say that three times in a row. Uh, um, just as they focused on the singular goal of freedom, today we'll see that we can focus on Christ or focus on the world, and we are the focus of grace. Today we're going to look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, we can learn so much in these uh, 11 verses. It, it shows Jesus' humanity, his deity, his power, his compassion, his grace, and his patience. Uh, the things I'm going to talk about today are things that I try to practice every day. Uh, again, I say I try, though I admit that I haven't perfected it. And it shows that if we focus on Christ, ordinary people can do extraordinary, sometimes even impossible things. Now, I think sometimes we read or hear about the men and, and women of the Bible, and we think of them as some kind of spiritual superheroes. But when we study them, we, we see that most were just ordinary, flawed people, just like we are. They did extraordinary things, sometimes seemingly impossible things, not because they were great, but because they served a great God. Again, just like us. Throughout Scripture, we see that God didn't call out the most gifted, the most educated, the most wealthy, or the most famous people of his day. Now, granted, some of them received wealth and fame, but that's not um, necessarily why they were used by God. Time and again, he used ordinary people. And why did he do that? To bring glory to himself, the only one worthy to be glorified. Now, if he chose to use the greatest thinkers and greatest orators of his day, then 
what would that mean for the rest of us poor slobs? Um, you might start thinking, well, he can't use me. I'm nobody. Right? But also that could distract uh, where the power was coming from. Was it the articulate guy with the super huge, huge IQ and the best education, or was it God? Was it 50-50? never know. But God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things because the higher that he lifts us up to serve him, the more he's glorified. And then there is no doubt where the strength and power come from. It must come from God because it wasn't from us. When Jesus called his uh, disciples, the original 12, to train under him to start churches and spread the gospel, he didn't recruit the best and brightest, um, which angered the Pharisees because they thought they were all that in a bag of chips. Um, but no, he, he called an uneducated fisherman, uh, a reviled tax collector, and a political terrorist which is pretty much what a zealot was. And he gave these ordinary men the strength and ability to do the impossible. In the same way, many of us were raised believing uh, through books and movies that those who forged this great nation were heroes that accomplished the impossible. Now, the culture nowadays is kind of trying to tear down their legacies because they were gasp, flawed human beings. The truth, of course, lies somewhere in between. And yes, Ben Franklin, Thomas Paine, and others were gifted orators and wordsmiths and statesmen. Many of the founding fathers were su successful businessmen and uh, wealthy landowners. Um, but, you know, in the eyes of King George, they were just colonists. How dare they question the king? But they were singularly focused on freedom and the rights endowed by our creator. Now, I'm not going to claim that they were all godly men or that we, we were a, a Christian nation because I don't think that's possible. But I do believe that if you read the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, and other writings, they were influenced in no small part uh, by seeking God's blessing. And though it's been downplayed now in their time and with their knowledge, I have no doubt in my mind that they were being led by the one true God of heaven. And because of this, a ragtag army of farmers defeated one of the most powerful military forces in history. And we are free. Another example of um, of uh, God using ordinary people is standing in front of you today. Um, you're looking at a guy that, generally speaking, doesn't like to talk and doesn't like crowds and really, really doesn't like to talk in front of crowds. Um, when we go to dinner... My wife makes me promise to say five sentences. And she counts, yeah. Um, the definition of silence could be 
me and my son Travis having a phone conversation. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Um, my cousin from Chicago, who I love like a brother, uh, we try to talk once a week on the phone, but at least once during a phone call, he has to have a, ask if I'm still there or if he's lost conversation, <laughs> connection, because I'm not talking. <laughs> um, there are people who I've worked with for many years and people that I went to school with who would be dumbfounded if they knew that I was even doing this or teaching children here for like 20 years. Yeah, 20 years. Mr. Bruce is very old. Now, am I telling you all this to show that I've been forced to do these things or to teach children? No, not at all. Uh, if God gives me an opportunity to serve him, I'm not going to say no. Am I telling you this to say that my sermon is going to be extraordinary? Definitely not. I'm telling you this to show that for me, just being up here is extraordinary. But as Philippians 4.13 tells us, say it with me, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So now with all that being said, let's take a look at the co-star of today's story. A man named Peter who was about to do the impossible. Now Peter is recognized as being a leader among the 12 chosen. In every book of the Gospels, when uh, the disciples are listed, his name is mentioned first. He was an uneducated fisherman when Jesus called him. He, but he was bold and he was passionate. His mouth and his actions were very often faster than his brain. Many times he was, he was afflicted by uh, foot and mouth disease. Personally, I always like to think of myself as, as Paul, but if I'm honest, I'm more Peter. Peter was quick to jump in with both feet, but he always wasn't always uh, very good about finishing them. He was flawed, just like the rest of us. In fact, his given name was Simon. But Jesus not so much changed his name, like with Paul, but added to it, Peter, which means stone or rock. And it's as if Jesus is challenging him to not just be Simon, but to be Peter, the rock. So we've done a lot of groundwork establishing that God often uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And I think I've kept you in suspense long enough. So let's get to our passage for today and uh, see that, like Peter, we can focus on Christ or focus on the world, and we can be the focus of grace. So in the immortal words of Brother Bob Cunningham, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, then turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. And out of reverence to God's holy word, I ask that you would stand with me if you're able and follow along as I read Matthew 14, verses 22 to 33. 
Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came in or came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for um, the people who came before us and, and um, risked everything, including their lives, so that we have the freedom to come and worship you freely and openly. Lord, I pray that uh, you'll use this ordinary man today to, uh, to share your message, um, that it would touch at least one heart today and help them. Uh, please help me not get in the way of that. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now the events in this passage come immediately after Jesus feeds 5,000 men plus women children with five loaves of bread and two fish. And after they had eating their fill, there were still 12 baskets of food left over. Now the 12 disciples were there to witness this miracle. Uh, so it would have certainly been fresh in their minds. Uh, they probably looked at each other and thought, did, did, did I see what I think I saw? And verse 22 says that Jesus uh, sent the 12 to go ahead on a boat and sent the crowd away so that he could stay there to pray. Uh, this, shows that, this shows Jesus' humanity uh, and obedience. He, he needed quiet time to pray to the Father. Uh, his mission was to save the lost. Uh, but in his humanity, he recognized his need to be alone and commune with the Heavenly Father. So he had another example for the rest of us. So that's what he did. 
So when the twelve were in the boat in the middle of the, uh, the sea, a fierce storm came upon them. And the boat and its inhabitants were rocked to and fro from the strong winds and battered by relentless waves. Now we know that Jesus wasn't with them, but he certainly knew of their situation. Whether he orchestrated the storm or just took advantage of the predicament they were in, we don't really know. But either way, he, he used it to show his deity to, to them once again. And in the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., he went to them walking on the sea. Verse 26 says, And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled saying, it is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. Now, I don't know why, after spending so much time with Jesus and seeing his marvelous works to that point, um, the first thing they thought in their mind was, it's a ghost, but that's what it says. Uh, now, they were undoubtedly in fear for, for their lives by the storm, and this vision just increase that feeling and they understandably uh, cried out in fear but Jesus is a compassionate Lord and he didn't question them he didn't uh, make them wonder uh, in verse 27 we're told that immediately Jesus spoke to them saying be of good cheer it is I do not be afraid now just take just a minute and think about how sweet and comforting those words must have sounded to them. Then, as usual, Peter was the first to open his mouth. And he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, if any of the others even considered going out to Jesus on the water, they weren't bold enough to ask. But that's kind of what made Peter Peter. Um, and Jesus rewarded Peter for his bold faith, as we see in verse 29. So he, Jesus, said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go see Jesus. He focused on Christ, and Jesus gave him the ability to do something that is literally impossible. You know, it's really easy to chuckle at Peter or, or shake our heads at some of the things he says and does sometimes um, with his tendency to act before thinking. But let's remember this. Peter was the only one who got out of the boat. And as we've seen, none of us are much different than Peter. Um, We've all jumped into things without thinking, probably more times than we'd like to admit. Even a man of few words like myself, I'm amazed at how much trouble my mouth can get me into. So no one should ever say God can't use a nobody like me. Do not diminish God's power like that. If God has a purpose for you, you can rest assured He's going to give you the ability to do it. God delights in using ordinary people to do extraordinary, even impossible things. 
Still need convincing? Well, let's look at scripture. God's holy word. A young man sold into slavery by his own jealous brothers become a, became a powerful leader in a foreign land and saved many lives, including the brothers that he loved and forgave. His name was Joseph. A shepherd boy with a sling and a rock slayed a giant and became Israel's greatest king. His name, of course, was David. And the apostles in Acts 512. Uh, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. Or in the second chapter of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them to speak in different tongues, which enabled them to spread the gospel. Uh, amazed that these ordinary, uneducated Galileans could do such a thing some mocked them, and they said, oh, they must be drunk. Well, I'll tell you guys, every drunk person that I've observed has trouble speaking their own language, let alone a foreign language that they've never learned. But there had to be some explanation, right? I mean, it's impossible. Well, Jesus kind of gives us the explanation in Mark 10, verses 25 to 27. He said that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And hearing this, the disciples looked at each other, probably thinking, well, that's impossible. So they asked, well, then who, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So these are just a handful of examples. Peter focused on Christ and was able to do the impossible. You know, people with very little Bible knowledge, uh, even unbelievers, could probably tell you that Jesus walked on the water. But not everyone remembers that Peter did, too. Probably because it was a short stroll. Peter's focus was on Christ, and he was doing something utterly impossible. He was walking to Jesus on the water. He was really doing it. But then in verse um, 30, But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, saying, Lord, save me. Now let's remember. This was not a calm, peaceful, placid sea that they were walking on. That would have been unbelievable enough. They were walking on the water in the midst of a frightening storm. Wind howling, waves crashing. Peter took his eyes off Jesus and focused on the storm raging about him. And he became afraid. Now notice... Peter had no fear in asking Jesus to command him to come. He had no fear when he stepped down out of the boat onto the tossing waves. And he didn't sink as soon as he got out of the boat, as the other 11 and crew probably expected. His focus was on Jesus and his fervent desire to go to his Lord. He trusted that when Jesus said, come, 
that Jesus would enable him to come. But then he focused on the storm. He became, became afraid and he, he began to sink. You know, we live in a sinful, fallen world that's full of storms. There are storms raging around us every day. Your storm might be financial problems. Your storm might be health issues. Your storm might be a family or relationship issues or being alone. Your storm might be your job or lack of a job. Your storm might be an addiction. Your storm might be um, one of a countless other issues or a combination of several. When we focus on the world, the storms raging around us, like Peter, we can become afraid. We can be overtaken by the storm and sink. Something I noticed when studying this passaging this passage again this time that I'd never noticed before is that in verse 30 it says that when he saw that the wind was boisterous he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried out saying Lord save me it doesn't say that he was overtaken by the waves it doesn't say that he uh, floundered in the sea when he began to sink he cried out Lord save me how deep do you have to sink before you cry out, Lord, save me? Verse 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. This passage of scripture concludes with a beautiful display of Jesus' mercy, grace, and patience. Peter cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Jesus didn't let him bob in the water to teach him not to focus on anything other than Christ. He didn't make Peter beg. He didn't even make him ask twice. Immediately, he reached out his hand and caught him. Mercy and grace hand in hand. When we take our eyes off him and choose to focus on the world, well, he doesn't always act immediately. And we have to accept the consequences of our choices. But he's always there. He never turns his back on us. He never ignores us. He never gives up on us. We are the focus of grace, receiving something that we don't deserve. Of course, as sinners, we deserve the penalty, or as Romans 6.23 calls it, the wages of sin. Eternity and torment, separation from God. But with faith in Jesus' sacrifice and his mercy, we don't have to get what we deserve. Anything beyond this is his grace. And he gives us so much grace, so much more than we deserve. 
an abundant life, an eternity in heaven with him. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh, which was Jesus, and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the word in flesh, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But the saving grace came with a rebuke, a scolding, also in verse 31. Jesus said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Our choices have consequences, and this was Peter's. Can you imagine how Peter felt hearing these words yet again? It must have been heartbreaking. I can almost imagine him saying, but I had faith to go to you. Yeah, but not enough to stay. And as heartbreaking as these words were for Peter, I think they might have been even worse for Jesus. I think Jesus must have been overjoyed when Peter boldly asked to come to him. Somebody's finally getting it. But then the disappointment that he couldn't keep from focusing on the world. I know none of this is recorded in Scripture, and I'm certainly not trying to add to Scripture. But again, I can imagine a heartbroken Jesus saying, Peter, rock. How can your faith still be so small? How can you doubt me? What else do I need to do to make you understand? I don't know about you, brothers and sisters. I shudder when I think of all the times that I've disappointed my Lord. Then the passage concludes, and when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This time, Jesus showed both grace and patience by his silence. I mean, come on. If I was Jesus, I would have probably said something like, oh, you mean like that other time that we were in a boat and a storm arose and you woke me up because you were convinced that you were going to die? And I rebuked the wind and the sea and the storm ceased and the sea was calm and you marveled and wondered, who am I that even the wind and the sea obey me? Are you sure now? All right. But Jesus didn't say anything like that. Maybe because he is full of grace, but not not. But I'm very glad to be the focus of grace. How about you? I think it would be safe to say that this is the most that I've spoken at one time in my entire life. So I'll try to wrap this up quickly. As I said in the beginning, I'm not going to claim that anything I've said is extraordinary. But my prayer is that something I've said can help at least one of you to reassess your focus. Our focus is so vital 
as we strive to be more like Christ. We need focus to fight an ongoing battle against a treacherous and formidable enemy. I think our founding fathers would be happy to know that we're still celebrating the freedom that they fought so hard to win. Though I'm not sure they would be happy or even recognize what we are now. But our battle isn't over. And we need to focus on Christ to withstand the, the attacks of fear and doubt. As the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full on his wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Focus on the things above, not below. This is including in my morning prayer. And I often repeat it throughout the day. Um, I have a tendency to, to look at and focus on everything that I need to do. And I, and I think, how am I going to do this? I have to remember, focus on Christ. Let him do it. Right? And when I do that, you know what? It gets done. Um, when I try to do it on myself, it's usually a mess. I want my focus on Christ alone, not on me, not on the world, not even on the task before me. If my focus is on Christ, then everything else will be taken care of. Our adversary, he wants us to take our focus off Christ. The ruler of this world wants us to focus on the world not Christ. He will use fear, doubt, and distractions to change our focus. He knows that if we focus on the world, the storms raging around us, we're alone. And like Peter, we're going to begin to sink. I cannot count all the distractions <laughs> that I've encountered this week as I've prepared this message on focus. I've lost doubt of how many times I've had to tell myself to focus. And I remember the same thing happened last time that I shared this message about focus. Imagine that. Some of the distractions were worthwhile, ministering and encouraging others. But many were not, and often by my own doing. But whether good or bad, the distractions took my focus off my goal. It might sound funny, but this very message on focus has itself become a distraction on this message of focus. Um, recycling this 10-year-old sermon was a lot harder than I expected. I remembered it being a pretty solid message um, when I first uh, did it. But as I read through it, um, I started running into a lot of, what was I thinking? <laughs> Where did I come up with that? Um, so what I thought was going to be a simple revision turned into pretty much a rewriting of most of it. But who knows? In 10 years, I might look at this one and say, what was I thinking? 
Many things can be a distraction. Satan will use any tool he can. Anything that he can think of to discourage, distract, and cause fear and doubt to take our fear, to take our focus off Christ. But though he might win some battles, he can't defeat us unless we surrender. Because we are the focus of grace. Even when we focus on the world around us and we begin to sink, if we, like Peter, cry out, Lord, save me, by his grace he will reach out his hand and catch us. Have you ever heard someone demand to get what they deserve? Well, I, for one, am so glad that I don't get what I deserve. Eternal torment and separation from God. Anything besides that is grace. And he gives us so much uh, grace that we don't even realize it. Another old hymn, Count Your Blessings, comes to mind. I've said before that, you know, if you have trouble sleeping, um, instead of counting sheep, count your blessings for that day. Try that, right? Um, if you really think about it, it's literally impossible to count all our blessings. His grace is so great that we receive blessings that we don't even recognize. So it's up to you, brothers and sisters. Lord, what are you going to choose to focus on? We can focus on Christ or focus on the world. And we are the focus of grace. Now, if there's anyone here today that has never put their faith in Christ for salvation, or if you're not sure whether you have, I encourage you to find someone to ask before you leave today. We have many people here who would love to help you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these words. I thank you for this opportunity to share my heart with, with these dear people. And Lord, I pray that it was the message that you wanted to give today and that at least one person out here um, will think about what they're focusing on and, and, and strive to focus on you. And I just uh, thank you for all that you do and all that you will do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So may God bless you, protect you. Hope you enjoy this time to wish happy birthday to the United States. And we are dismissed.